Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Today, we're going to be talking about the tongue. Are you excited? (laughs) Uh, You didn't go out of town. This is going to be a powerful message. And I want to start it off by asking you a question. When you were a child, did your parents teach you this rhyme? You might finish it for me. Uh, Sticks and stones might break my bones, but... Oh, you've heard it, huh? Uh, This was a rhyme that was taught to children to deal with bullying, so they wouldn't, like, hit back or throw something or do something awful. Uh, And it actually was, it's an old one, uh, back from the 1800s is when it was first recorded in writing. And it said that it is inspired by Psalm 42, verse 10. I'll read it to you. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Now take a look at that for a moment. Does that say that words will never hurt me? Right? It actually says the opposite, doesn't it? My bones suffer mortal agony at what? Taunting and sayings. People asking, where is your God? I don't know how they got this idea that words don't hurt. Because I think we all agree and know that words have the power to hurt, don't they? Words have tremendous power to hurt and to help. They can be, uh, they can discourage, they can cause anger, they can cause uh, separation, but words can also heal, they can encourage, they can lift up, they can empower someone else. Words have an enormous amount of power. Uh, When I was in seventh grade, uh, my seventh grade teacher gave us a special announcement, uh, assignment, excuse me. She told us to write a paper about an unlikely relationship. Our job was to pick two things that would normally not really be able to be friends and create a whole story about how they became friends and how the friendship was possible. So I, the clever one, came up with a friendship between a giraffe and an ant. That's pretty good, right? And I wrote this whole paper about how it was possible for this giraffe to make friends with the ant without, like, blowing it just by the breath, you know, out out to smithereens. And the paper apparently came out pretty good. I got an A+. So my teacher um, was talking to another teacher on one of the breaks about this paper that I wrote, how I did such a good job interpreting the assignment and coming up with a really clever story, very well written. And I'm... uh, cleaning the dry the board, um, and I was totally a teacher's pet, and I mean, I'm doing whatever I could to get that better grade, so I'm out with her cleaning the board, and she's telling this teacher what a great paper Inez wrote, and, and I'm like, so happy, I'm back there just like, I'm sure I was doing a little dance or something, and then I turn around to like experience more words of affirmation, please, and she said to me, egoista, anybody speak Spanish? You know what that word means? Egotistical, excessively conceited, absorbed in oneself, self-centered, selfish, arrogant, narcissistic. One word. That's what she said. And in a moment, I just froze. 
And those words were so deep in my heart. To this day, I remember the chalkboard. I remember where I was standing. I remember where the teachers were sitting. I remember those, that word so vividly, even the tone of her voice. And I don't know if you're uh, a person that's afraid of failure. I- I'm one of those. I'm a perfectionist. I think I've shared and confessed before that I'm a control freak. So I- I'm a little afraid of failure, but I'm actually more afraid of success because of that word. Because success means that maybe I'll become prideful. That's what that word did for me. And so for years, I wouldn't write because I was afraid that if I wrote well, I would become a selfish, self-centered person. So words have power, don't they? At the same time, words have power to heal, to encourage, to strengthen, to empower And so as I was preparing for the sermon, I was talking to my husband, Jim. I said, hey, honey, can you give me a story of something that's happened in your life? And he said, well, I've got a really good one. When he was around 10 or 11 years old, he worked at the machine shop with his father. They took engines apart and rebuilt them, and, you know, it was dirty, oily, messy work. And there he was working with very dangerous equipment to rebuild engines. And his father would tell his customers and his friends and the other workers who came Look at my son. He's doing the job of a grown man, and look how good he's doing. And he would say such positive things about Jim in front of these men. For Jim, those words became an absolute encouragement towards a work ethic that he still lives by today. I'm proud of my husband. He's a very successful businessman, and he accounts that to the words his father spoke over him in those times. Not that his father is perfect, but those words were life-giving. And they had an effect on Jim's entire life. So words have power. They have power to hurt, and they have power to heal. They have power to discourage, and they have power to encourage. And I don't know about you, but I'm one that wants to be on the side of encouragement. I want my words to bring strength and encouragement and empowerment to others. Are you with me? Right? We want, oh, some of you are not. Hmm, Okay, we're really going to talk today, huh? (laughs) I'm thinking we're all wanting more of that. But why is it so hard for us to control our words, to manage our words in such a way where we are always, at least most of the time, consistently an encourager, someone who empowers, someone who strengthens, someone we can bring constructive words towards others instead of words that destroy And so that's what we're going to read today. So if you have your Bible, go to James chapter 3. James, as we will read, is going to talk to us about the power of our words. He's talking about the power of the tongue. And he's going to give us a a vivid picture of our tongue. And I want you to know, it's going to feel a little bit like putting soap in your mouth. Anybody had that when they were a kid? I did. It worked, by the way. But nevertheless, it was not a pleasant experience. There's a little bit of this that's going to make some of you uncomfortable. There's, there's going to be a little bit of despair that's going to come as we hear James's words, but hang in there, because when we get through all of it, you're going to see the hope that also comes from what James is teaching us today. There's a, the, the more despair you might feel through this message, know that the greater the hope you're going to receive, because James has something very powerful for us in these words. So let's, I'm going to read through, and then we're going to study it more slowly. Verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. 
When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships, for example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is as restless, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Ooh-wee, James. Lots of illustrations. Before we start this passage, before we, we see the practical way in which James is going to teach us today, and we absorb some of these powerful truths, let, let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, first of all, thank you. Thank you for the powerful truths that we're about to experience today. Already just hearing your word, we can see that there are some things we're going to be confronted with. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts. Prepare me as your teacher. James says, not many of you should seek to be teachers. Prepare me, Lord. Speak through me. Get rid of anything that's in me that's not of you so that your voice is the loudest in the room. Help us, Father. Open our ears to hear you above or else. We come to see and experience your goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, okay, James starts uh, chapter 3 talking about the tongue, but this is not the first time. If you've been with us throughout the series, you know that chapter 1, already James said, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Remember that? And in chapter 2, he says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged. In other words, be careful what you speak. Here we get to chapter 3, and he goes even deeper in this concept of words, of our, our tongue, our speaking. He expands the point, and he starts with teachers, which, of course, for someone like me, it's the most frightening passage to read, right? Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, James starts addressing teachers, and many who read this uh, believe that he was speaking about teachers in the first century, Jewish leaders who were using the position just to bring themselves honor and praise, and they were misusing that role. And certainly, that's clear. We see that Jesus spoke a lot about teachers who were teaching poorly, but I think this isn't just for teachers. I do think this is for every one of us, because if you read Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when Jesus commissioned his followers, which includes you and I, look at what he said to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now read this part with me. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Teaching is part of our ministry as followers of Jesus Christ. And as we become teachers, our words have more authority and more power. And therefore, a regular person has power in the words. How much more so those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And the challenge is that all of us are guilty at one point or another of misusing our words, aren't we? And even James admits to that. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, what a notion. All of us stumble, but if anyone is able to keep their tongue, their words under control, they are perfect. They can say they're perfect. There's a maturity about them that they have reached something quite remarkable. Their whole body is in check. How many of us want some of that? Okay, some of you. We're getting there. More hands are going up. I'm I'm starting to see the enthusiasm building up in the room. Because this this is what I did this week as I was preparing for the sermon. Can I go for 24 hours without saying something, some unkind word, to someone or about someone. Have you tried that ever? Ooh, I did not do too good. I found myself at times, ooh, there it is. You know, I mean, when you, when you pay attention to this, I, I want to encourage you to give that a test in your own life. You start paying attention to your words. It's amazing how many times these little things sort of sneak in and we say things that truly at the end of the day, no matter how we package them, are somewhat unkind. And James says that's the problem for all of us. In 1 John, we're told, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we at least, we have to look at ourselves for who we are and understand what, what the reality of our situation is. And James is trying to remind us of that. Sadly, none of us are perfect. Sadly, all of us have this challenge of misusing our words, which have power and have the power to hurt others. We, we are guilty of breaking the golden rule, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Every so often, we say things to others that we would not say to ourselves. And, you know, James isn't difficult to understand. You notice that. I mean, we just read this, these 13 passages, and frankly, I don't have to preach on this because it's pretty clear what he's telling us. But it's not easy to accept. It's difficult to take it in. Do you want to know how to bring your tongue in control? How to get your words under control? Do you want to know that? I think James is going to teach us very practical ways in which we can do that. The very first thing he does, and he pounds it again and again and again, is he gives us a very realistic, truthful, no bars hold. This is like, this is what the tongue is. Look at it for what it is. And when you understand that, you can then know how to control it. Three things he tells us. First, the tongue, believe it or not, the tongue is too powerful for us to control on our own. James illustrates this point in several ways. He talks about the bits in the mouth of horses. He talks about the rudder in the ship. 
Now, you know, if, you, if you're a horse person, you know that horses have to be broken, right? They have to be trained so they can receive the bit in their mouth. But once they have that, a rider can decide which way the horse goes. Except if you're like me, I'm on a horse and this thing is doing whatever it wants. But normally, if you know what you're doing, you can actually control the horse to go in whatever direction you wanted to go through the pit. A large ship, which in this case in the first century would have been one with big... Um, Mass, but imagine today we have cruise lines that are like little cities, right? And these large ships are directed by a rudder. The rudder is maybe large for the large ship, but in comparison to the ship, it's pretty small. And not only that, if you uh, anybody been on a cruise? If, if you have the chance to go into the deck and look at the instrument that they use to move this rudder electronically, it's a teeny little button now or a little lever that they turn, and that turns the rudder and that turns the ship, and it either will go to Alaska or it's going to Mexico. It's going to go in the direction the rudder is set. That's the power of that rudder. That's the power of the bit. And that's what James is giving us a picture. We have a very, very powerful tool and yet, it's too powerful for us to control. This little thing, we struggle to control, he tells us. In verse 5, he says this, Just like those things, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil, among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it's itself set on fire by hell. How do you like that picture? Now listen, we're in California. We know that a cigarette that's thrown out the window or a little spark of some sort starts a fire. And any firemen in the house? Anybody? No firemen. But this is, I have a friend who is a volunteer fireman, and he tells us that to fight one of these fires, it takes hundreds of firemen, helicopters, airplanes, trying to, it is a difficult thing to do to put out one of these fires. Thousands of acres are damaged by this fire, all started by a very small spark. And we kind of know, right? We know that to be true here, especially in Southern California. It happens in a flash, a small statement. Now, Jim and I have been married 13 years, and when we first got married, uh, we had some fire in the house. All right? We would just say things, and we would just touch each other's buttons. You know, I, you, you say something, and you think it's not a big deal, but then you, once it goes out of your mouth, it's like, oh, there, oh, this, I, that was a mistake. And all of a sudden, either he hurt my feelings, or I hurt his feelings, and there was no way to get those words back, and we had a fire in the house, and it took hours to recover. I don't know about you, but if you've had one of those really difficult arguments with someone that you love, and it's all over, when you're done, you feel like... Oh, that was awful. I mean, some of these were bad fires that were started simply by a word, a simple statement, destructive as it went out and did its thing. In Matthew 15, Jesus says this, What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. It has that kind of power. In fact, there's a Jewish metaphor, I don't know if you've heard it, but it's two rabbis, a more experienced rabbi is teaching a younger rabbi. And the more experienced rabbi makes the connection that our tongue is like an arrow. 
The young rabbi says, why an arrow? Why not a sword of some other weapon? And the more experienced rabbi says this. If a man unleashes his sword to kill his friend, and his friend pleads with him and begs him for mercy, the man may be mollified and return the sword to his scabbard. But an arrow, once it's shot, cannot be returned. How many times have you said something, and just the minute those words finish coming out of your mouth, you're like, <gasps> trying to take them back, trying to take them back, and there is no taking them back. And you see the damage that they cause, and you cannot fix it. This picture of the arrow is just going, going completely out of our control. You see a murderer can totally repent for his, uh, for his uh, violation. He cannot restore life. Similarly, when, when we say things that damage another person, whether it's by gossip or we humiliate someone else, it's very difficult to undo the change, the damage that we have done. On our own effort, James is telling us, our tongue is much too powerful. We can control it to some level, but all the time it's letting us down, isn't it? Outcome words that we want so badly to take back. The second thing he teaches us is that our tongue is rebellious. Verse 7 says this, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. How ironic is that? Humans have the power to harness the power of a raging river and create hydroelectric uh, power. Humans can harness the power of an atom and create atomic power for destructive purposes or for productive purposes. Humans have the power to tame just about any animal, whether it's a parrot or a great whale. But we can't control this little thing in our tongue. It's rebellious, Jane says. This is what Romans, how Paul puts it. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. How's that for a picture? That's in our mouths. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're right about now thinking, I'm going to cut my tongue, I'm going to put some duct tape in my tongue, I'm just going to zipper myself off. Well, the bad news is that your shoulder would give up, you know, you would do one of those shrugs. Already people know what you think. Or your eyes, you know, you roll your eyes. There, our body, body language says more than our words sometimes, doesn't it? Because it's in our hearts. James is telling us it's rebellious. If he doesn't say it this way, it'll find a way to say it. But it comes out. And so, and he says it's poisonous. So I have a, an illustration for you. This is a dart shooter, or I don't know what it's called, but it's from Peru. My husband and I traveled to the jungle in Peru uh, in 2005, and we visited a, uh, out in the middle of the jungle, we visited a village, and we got trained on how to use one of these. We had so much fun with it, we decided to buy one. Don't ask me how we got it to the USA, it was challenging, but we did. But here's how it works. Have you seen one of these, anybody? Earlier in the last service, somebody had. It comes with little darts, and what they do is they put them, dip them in poison, and then they put them back here. You want me to shoot it at you? No, I don't think you do. No, you don't. Uh, you put it back here, and then they look at the animal. They stay very, very still, and just as the animal comes up, 
My husband could shoot it like 200 feet. It goes a long way. He won. He got the crown for being the best shooter on this thing. James is telling us we're all walking around with one of these. And here's the thing. When a Peruvian hunter goes to hunt an animal, let's say it's a hog, and the hog is going around doing its business, completely oblivious to what the hunter is looking to do. In fact, it might even think, oh, this is a harmless person, and start to walk towards them. All of a sudden, this thing gets shot at them, and all they feel is a little ding. And then for a moment, there's a little pain. And then the muscles tense up in that area. And then the heart starts to beat, and they can't breathe, and their brain starts to hurt, and their whole body starts to hurt. They stiffen up, and they die. All started by a small, thin piece of wood with poison. This is the picture of what we have with us all the time. We're all going around. Hi, Susie. Hi, Joe. How you doing? So good to see you. You're so great. Oh, wait, wait, I have something to tell you. (laughs) The other thing that James tells us about the tongue, it's deceptive. This is the hard one. Verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse the human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Not only is the tongue destructive, not only is the tongue poisonous and rebellious, but it's also completely out of control and hypocritical because in one moment it says nice things and the next moment comes out vile and poison and venom and pain. And James does a good job of showing us nature. Nature isn't like that. You see, whatever we see in nature behaves the way they were made. Like he tells us about a fig tree. It produces figs. It doesn't produce olives. And a grapevine doesn't produce olives or figs. He gives us, nature does what it's intended to do. You and I were created in God's image. What did God do to create everything? He used his words. He said, let there be life, and there was life. Every time he spoke, creation came into being. Words matter to God. He chose to speak to us through his son, Jesus Christ. We have the entire Bible as God values the power, the life that words bring. And they create life. And we and I were created, intended to bring life with our words. And yet we don't. If we can't control our tongue, if our tongue is destructive, If we can't let go of it, because even if we tie it up, somehow our body defeats us and words come out, then what are we to do? How are we then to bring life with our words, to be the people we were intended to be, if somehow we are stuck with this thing in our bodies that we cannot get rid of? What are we to do? The answer is if we go back to verse 3. We go back to verse 3. We are reminded of the power of the tongue. Look what it says. When we would put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder where the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue, a very small part of the body, it makes, but it makes great boasts. No human being can tame the tongue. This is a message of hope. Do you see it? Probably not. That's okay. 
When you read this in the Greek, the word for human being is anthropos. It is referring to a specific part of God's creation, you and I, not gods, not animals, created in God's image. We human beings cannot control our tongue. But our Lord and Savior is not an ordinary human being. He was all human. He was all God. And when he died on the cross and rose again, he gave his gift of the Holy Spirit, which now lives in you. If you are a Christ follower, you are a new creation. Second um, Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old one has gone. The new is here. And in Galatians 5, we're told that the gift of the Holy Spirit is a whole lot of gifts to help us with all of these broken parts of ourselves. Look, we are given love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the best one of all, say it with me, self-control. Because we are a new creation. Because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have been given the gift. If we ask for more of it, he will give it to us, self-control. So you know what we get to do with our tongue? We get to put it at the foot of the cross. That's where it belongs. We surrender it to God. Paul tells us this in Romans 8, 6. The mind governed by the flesh is dead, but the mind governed by the spirit is what? Life and peace. 1 John 4. You... You, my dear children, are from God. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Words are powerful, both in a negative and in a positive way. Proverbs says the tongue has the power to bring life and death. And the Bible teaches us time and time again, we are created in God's image and Jesus redeemed that for us. We are now a new creation able to speak words of life much more consistently through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can control the tongue, not on your own, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the help of Jesus Christ. You have a new song. I love these words from Psalm 40. Listen to these. I waited patiently for the Lord. He returned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Praise God that he will put a new hymn on your tongue. And you know, there are times where silence is golden, you know? Or maybe it's good that we say nothing. I, earlier today, I came in and they were saying, oh, look, Inez, you kind of are dressed very much 4th of July. And one of the producers had this in their car. She goes, oh, I can loan you these. And they're not real. But, you know, I said, are they kind of cheesy? I asked Eric Kurt. I said, Eric, does this look a little cheesy for a pastor? And he was like, oh, I don't know what to say now. You know, he didn't know how to answer that question. He might get in trouble. Sometimes silence is, is golden. He did all right. But sometimes... Sometimes we can say something that brings life. And we can ask God for those specific questions. We can ask God for a new song in our mouth. 
to use our tongues to bring life, to bring encouragement. He knows what the other person needs to hear. He knows that we might be open and available for him to use us to bring life. Instead of trying to control it on our own accord, we release our tongue for Jesus to use it for his purposes. And then Psalm 40, verse 4, finishes with this. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Do you not believe that if we, if this, this group right here, if we were out there speaking words of life to others, how many people would see God for who he is? Jesus says, by this, the world will know that I was sent by the Father, by the way that you love each other. How do we love each other? What is the most powerful way we can love another person? Through our words. Our words make a big difference. You know, I don't hold a grudge against my seventh grade teacher because she taught me the power of words. Granted, she did it in a negative way. But still, I understand how much words can hurt. And therefore, I know that I'm a better writer because of it, because I'm careful about my words. Now, do I get it right all the time? No, I told you. I try to be 24 hours nasty word free, and it was a challenge, but it required me to pray. Have anybody of you fasted? Like when you're fasting, one of the, the beauties of fasting is anytime your stomach starts to grumble, it reminds you to pray or be in God's word, and it's a good way to get closer to God. Well, this is kind of like this. You go 24 hours, and, you, and you're praying for God to give you new songs, new words, and a, a word comes out that isn't quite, quite there, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's a good opportunity to pray. That's a good opportunity to praise. When we praise, when we talk about God for who he is, when we proclaim his goodness, his faithfulness, his grace, his mercy, the devil, all the de demons have to take a break. They can't even come into your sphere. You are having a conversation with God. They have no power over you. When we ask God for a new song, what we are saying is, okay, all those enemies have to go and take a break. They have to sit this one out because it's between God and me now, and what comes out of my mouth is going to be life given to myself and to others. Because I don't know about you, I tend to say the meanest things to myself. I'm the first one to call myself names. So even in those words, even in those words, we ask God for a new song. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.